Uh, we've been walking through the life of David, and it's been fun for me because not often have in the last couple of years have I preached on a narrative story. Often, well, if you read through the Old Testament, a lot of it ends up being narrative, and that's kind of what the life of David's all about. And I was reflecting with a mentor of mine this last week who has been a pastor for 30 years, and we were just reflecting on the life of David, and I was getting kind of frustrated, and we'll reflect on that this morning. But David, the story of David is really the, the center of the, the Old Testament. It is the pinnacle of Israel's success. David will lead the nation to be the, one of the greatest in the area, the greatest in the area. They will have wealth, prosperity, defeating all of their enemies. And we're right now reflecting on his um, coming, his, his rise in, in power. But still we're at just an image of a, a young David who is basically um, a pawn of, of the king. And we're going to reflect on 1 Samuel chapter 18 today. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 18, or you can have your version smartphone app, and uh, go to the bottom right, hit events, and then you can find Liberty Christian Church, and you can follow on with all, all the notes there. But 1 Samuel chapter 18 reflects on a guy named Saul. How many of you guys have heard a guy named Saul before? Not new. This is not, it's confusing because there's the guy in the New Testament called Saul, but this is Old Testament. He's the king of Israel. And my reflections on Saul is that he had quite a rise to power, and my reflection is that he didn't have the character to make it, to make it through. And the hard part is, God building our character, the only thing that it takes is, is time, right? None of us like being patient. Raise your hand if you like being patient. Liars. Just, what, Bob, you too? Wow. Okay, nice job. Character building simply just takes patience and, and it's over time. Saul, uh, I don't believe, had the character for the position he was in. So he, had, uh, he started out fairly strong and then just completely rejected God. He started worshiping himself, basically. He built a, an idol of himself, a little prideful, if you ask me. Later on, to seek help, he will ask these mediums and, and all these type of people that are not followers of, of God at all. So he kind of goes down a dark path. And what we see in chapter 18 is basically... Saul's demise. He is giving in to his sin. He is giving in to his jealousy. He is giving in to his envy and his pride and his anger. And it just eats him alive. It's going to drive everybody away in his life. His children, his own kingdom. And the reason people follow Saul, I believe, is not because he is a leader, but because they're terrified of him. That's not a leader, is it? Absolutely, absolutely not. So what we see in chapter 18 is Saul losing his character and just giving in to, to sin. Remind me of James chapter 4, verse 7. It says this in the New Testament. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Everybody say, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say, resist the devil, and he will flee. Say, resist the devil, and he will flee. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What Saul does is not resist the devil. He embraces it. All of the jealousy that we have, the greed, when we look around at people and say, I want what they have, it just consumes his life. And then there's this prominence of this guy, David. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath. He was an unknown guy. He was a shepherd slinging rocks in his field. He is basically now a warrior. 
people look on with David like, wow, he's the guy, David and Goliath. We still talk about it today. And everyone was like, wow, David's the real deal. We love this guy. And it just ate Saul apart from the inside. People started saying nice things about David. He's just looking out and David's taking more and more real estate in Saul's mind and just consumes him. And he just drives everybody away that cares about him. Warren Wearsby says this about Saul's life. It says, David did not create problems for Saul. In fact, if we look at it, he solved a lot of problems for Saul. Saul was in a big pickle with Goliath and the Philistines. David bailed him out. And time and time again, David will continue to bail Saul out. So David didn't create problems for Saul, but he revealed the deep-seated problems that were already there, that were already there. Wow. So let's just dive right into it. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. The words will also be on the screen. So it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. This was like bro status, right? You guys know, I don't know if maybe you have a buddy in your life, uh, girls, if it's a girl, girl, boys, whatever, that you meet someone for the first time, and then there's just like an immediate bond. It's like, bro. You have similarities, you, you get along really well, you have the same humor style, you laugh at the same stuff, you cry about the same stuff, you all like scary movies, raise your hand if you like scary movies, right? You all like the same things, there's just a connection. And I think Jonathan had a deep respect for David as well. Uh, I was reading through some commentaries, and typically when we read the story of Jonathan and David, we think of like teenagers, that's probably not the case. I think Jonathan was probably in like in his 30s or 40s. He was a seasoned warrior. He led the Israelites in battle. David was probably around 20 or so. So Jonathan was, was probably much older, but had still a deep respect for David. I believe in this phase in his life, David was very humble, walked in humility. He was just a likable guy. It says in verse 2, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Verse 4, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, reflected that David is the future anointed king of Israel. And this is quite humble of Jonathan. Jonathan is the first in line to the throne. His father is Saul. So what Jonathan is saying is, I believe that this guy, David, who is younger than me, who is not a seasoned warrior as I am, who is not the son of the king, I believe, Jonathan says, that David is the future king. And what he's doing is he's symbolizing that he's passing his kingdom to David. Verse 5, let's continue. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. <laughs> so Saul made him a commander over men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. So after the victory, David defeating Goliath, it's a celebratory time in Israel, all these women coming out, and there's these parades in the streets, and they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. And I'm sure this, I'm sure this was like, Saul was like, this is great. This is a great song. And then it says, they continue to sing, and David his ten thousands. Ouch. So for the king of Israel, they're singing about a guy that was not him. 
Like, oh, we have our king. He killed thousands. But then there's this guy, David. He's way cooler, way stronger, got way more followers on TikTok and Instagram, way cooler of a guy. And as we reflect on Saul and David in leadership, I believe David was a true leader. Let's define what a leader is. What is a leader? It just means the people are following you, right? I don't think Saul was a leader. I think Saul was more of a a dictator. People did what he said out of fear, but then we have this guy, David, younger type of a fellow, but he leads with humility. Saul does some crazy stuff to him in the future. We'll talk about it in coming weeks. David continues to submit his life to Saul and say, hey, I'm your servant. What do you need? Even Saul throws a spear at his head. David bails on it. He makes it out alive, and he continues to serve Saul, who is the king, and, and, and David's just the most humble guy I've ever seen. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this, If praise humbles us, then God can use us. But if praise puffs us up, we're not ready yet for promotion. Wow, let me read that one again. If praise humbles us, then God can use us. So what he's saying is, if we are living our lives for the praise of men, you will be eternally dissatisfied and God won't use you. So praise humbles us, God can use us. If praise puffs us up, we're not ready for promotion. John 3.30, Jesus says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. God must become greater, we must become less. Saul was a prideful dude. I think he was a narcissist. It was all about him. He hears this song that the people in the town are singing of how great David is. Again, David's gaining more and more real estate in Saul's mind. It's consuming his life. Instead of just being grateful that David bailed him out of a really tough situation, the envy and the jealousy and the pride and the anger, he just lets really just grab a hold in his life. It gives the devil a foothold, and he continues to, to go down and drive everybody away from him. It gives us an example of what happens in our life when we allow pride and our jealousy and our envy to consume us. Again, what does James say? Resist the devil and he will flee. If you don't resist the devil, he gets a stronghold in your life. He will consume you from the inside out. You will be eternally dissatisfied with everything. You get a new home, oh, someone's got a nice room. You get a new car, someone has a nicer car. You get a new this, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough vacation time. Everyone's life is better than mine, etc. It consumes you, and then you become like a person that nobody wants to hang out with. Does anybody know someone like this that's never satisfied, that's grumpy all the time? You're just being honest, or you're just being kind by not raising your hands, right? So Saul uses fear to lead his people. David just uses humility, and he gains quite a following. It's fun to follow people who are humble. It's not fun to follow people who use fear as dictators do, right? Verse 8. So this, so this song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. And I want you to reflect throughout this passage. If you have your Bible with you, underline it says every time Saul was angry. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. You can see the real estate David has in his mind. Next, they'll be making him their king. He becomes so consumed with all of this. So it says in verse 9, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Keep your enemies closer. Friends close, keep your enemies closer. This was Saul's mentality. And my reflection is, is, Saul was in deep fear and jealousy and angry and envious 
over David. People liked him. People didn't like Saul. He was upset. I think that fears in our life can open the door to very dark things spiritually. It's my goal every week to quote Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. This is a Star Wars week, okay? What does the wise Yoda say? This is in the Bible. Fear. I'm not going to do my Yoda impression today. Sorry. You had to be here a couple months ago. It says fear is a path to the, the what? The dark side. It's true. It opens up your life to a lot of uh, anger and envy and, and all of this, and it leads you down a very dark path. This is why it says in Scripture, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Understanding God's, God's love for you. Saul was living his life in the pursuit of the praise of men. That's what filled up his tank. People singing about him on the pride and envy. He was building statues of himself. That will lead you down a path of darkness and sin, and you will drive away everybody that cares about you. Verse 10, it continues. The very next day, so after this, so... From that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. I read that God sent this upon Saul. At times, it wasn't his entire life, but out of punishment for his disobedience. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. Again, I think he was just so consumed. People like David more than me. David's going to take over. I want to be like, like David is. I want the praise that David gets. And David was playing his harp as he did each day for the king. But Saul had his spear in his hand and he's ravaging around like a madman. Again, this is consuming his life. And verse 11 says, he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped it twice. This is the future anointed king of Israel getting a spear thrown at his head. People are singing songs about this guy. People love this guy. But he still has basically the job of a slave. Verse 12 says, after David bailed and was not killed or pinned to the wall by Saul, says, Saul was then afraid of David. Second time we see this word, afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. How was David successful? Say the Lord was with him. How will you be successful? If the Lord is with you, if it's not about your wants, but it's about God's wants in your life. Saul wasn't afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Verse 13, finally, Saul sent him away after just succumbing to it and appointed him commander over 1,000 men, and David finally led his troops into battle. Saul gave up on the battle. The people were probably like, Saul, just man, David's the best. He's the best warrior that he has. He's a great leader. Put this guy in charge of your army if you want to win. I think in the back of Saul's mind, he was thinking, if I put David in this position, maybe I can just, maybe he'll just die. He either embarrass himself or he will die, and I will be back in power, and people will care about me, and they'll love me. Because again, what is he pursuing? Praise from men. Eternally disappointed. For all of my people pleasers out there, raise your hand. Be honest, my people pleasers. I see some hands. Put them way up in the air, my people. You're my people. You're going to be eternally disappointed in your life. <laughs> I am. If you pursue the praise for men and not the praise from God in your life. So in verse 14, so David continued to succeed in everything he did, say, for the Lord was with him. 
So he still continues to succeed. Saul says, I'll put him in this place. He's going to fail tremendously. David takes it up another level, continues to take more real estate in Saul's mind. He's losing his mind because of this. People love this guy, David. He's humble. He's a leader. People follow him because they want to follow him. He's a true leader. He's not a dictator. People want to follow him because they trust him. And it says because they love him. In verse 14, David continued to succeed everything the Lord did. The Lord was with him. Verse 15, when Saul recognized this, he became even more, say afraid, afraid of him. Third time now. Saul becomes more, this fear in his life. Remember, fear is a path to the dark side. I took it from the Bible, I swear, George Lucas did. When Saul recognized this again, he became more afraid of David. In verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Again, as we talked about at the beginning, character is only built over time. David, it took a very long time. Remember, he was anointed by Samuel to be future king of Israel. He was still a shepherd. David and Goliath, he was a grunt, taking food back and forth. Still was a, a grunt. He's even defeated Goliath. People are singing songs about him. He's still basically a slave. Now he's got a little bit of a authority, but he's still leading with humility. He's not drunk on power by any means. People want to follow him. Verse 17, let's continue the story. It says, one day Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter Merib as your wife, which was the deal for David beating Goliath. But you must first prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Now the dude is using his own family to get his own desires. Who am I, David says, and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father's family is nothing. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merib in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Mehalah. In the meantime, Saul's daughter, Michael, had fallen in love with David. And Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Why was he delighted? Not because that there was going to be a beautiful marriage and he was giving his daughter away and he's excited for his future grandchildren. No, it says he was excited about it because he says, here is another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. Again, he's just passionate about getting rid of this guy. He's no longer focused on leading his people. He's no longer focused about living his life for God. He's being consumed by his own sin. Remember, resist the devil and say he will flee. He will flee. Saul does not resist the devil. He does not resist his sin. He does not resist the anger and the agony and the jealousy and the envy. He lets it consume his life. So Saul said to himself, uh, here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. But to David, he said, today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. So he's got alternative motives now. He just wants to see the guy die. Then Saul told his men to say to David, the king really likes you and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When you have to tell your men and force them to say to David that he, you like him, it's probably a red flag. And I'm sure David, he's a smart guy. I'm sure David knows this. So when Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family uh, afford the bride price for uh, the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Wow! You never thought we were going to talk about that in church, did we? This is my reflection. Saul says in his mind, what is the most ridiculous thing 
that I can say to David, that is for sure going to get this guy killed. Man, he's driving him nuts. Everybody loves David. He's leading all these troops in the battle. He's a humble guy. His own children, Jonathan and David, they're like best friends. This is driving Saul insane. His youngest daughter falls in love with David. Saul's continuing to give in to his anger and his jealousy and his fears and all this type of stuff. And now he says, I've got the perfect plan to destroy David, finally, and get him out of my life. What I'm going to do is send him to battle and will require that he brings me back 104 skins of the enemy. That's, that's brutal. And so he's thinking, it's never going to happen. I, I've thought it through. David's never going to win. I am so smart. Everyone's, he's probably singing in his mind. Everyone's going to say, oh, David failed. Now Saul will get the praise of men and everything will be back to normal. So when Saul's men reported this to the back of the king, he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is all that I really want. But what, had, what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. So again, this is really the, the pinnacle. Saul gives in to his sin and his anger and his fear, so much so that his son-in-law, his potentially future son-in-law, he's sending him out to battle, hopefully to kill him. Threw a spear at this guy multiple times, completely just consumed with his fear. Remember James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Say, resist the devil, and he will flee. Say, resist the devil, and he will flee. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, stay alert. Say, stay alert. stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He had grabbed a hold of Saul's life. And Saul was losing everything that was close to him. And it continued to go darker and darker and consuming more and more and more. 1 John 5, 21 says this, dear children, John says, Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Anything. If that's the praise from people, it's really idolatry. You're putting people in the place of God. If that's doing everything perfect in your life, give it away. You will never do everything perfect in your life. Give it away to God. Keep away from anything, anything that might take God's place in your heart. Colossians 3, 5, the Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. That Saul did not do. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy as Saul was. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. This was Saul's demise, worshiping the things of this world instead of worshiping God. This is our temptation as humans, worshiping the things of this world instead of worshiping God. The American dream. People move here from all over the world for this thing called the American dream, a good life, a beautiful home, suburbs, friends, biking in the cul-de-sac, does that really bring true joy in our life? No. It brings, at the end, emptiness, 
if that is what you are pursuing. So Saul just let this consume his life. And now his future son-in-law, he's attempting to kill. In verse 26, it says this, David was delighted to accept the offer. Man, I don't know how you can be delighted to accept that. Sure, let's go for it. I'll bring you back 104 skins. No problem here. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all of their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. How do you think Saul felt when David comes in with the bat? I'm not going to say foreskins anymore. I've already said it like five times this morning. David comes in with this and says, boom, there you go. Saul's face, the blood probably drains out of it. How is this possible? Is this guy, this quote, golden boy, is he ever going to lose? Is it ever going to be about me ever again? In verse 28, it says, When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more, what? Afraid. Say afraid. How many times have we seen that in this one chapter? Four or five times. His fears consuming him. All he wants is the praise from people. That's what he wants. He's building statues of himself. He's trying to force people into following him. Never works that way. It never works. So Saul became even more afraid of David, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. And eventually, as we'll reflect in the coming weeks, David will rise to power, and he will be the greatest king in all of Israel. But I'll be honest with you, I was just reflecting on this chapter this week, reading through. Again, it's kind of bizarre, right? The foreskin thing, is, it's weird. <laughs> and I was reflecting, I was like, wow, man. We reflect and we say, David was so great. And sometimes, we as followers of Jesus, today as we just reflect on Bible stories, we can put David even in the place of of Jesus. Like, we want to be like David. I've heard people say that. We want to be like David. David was a phenomenal leader, a great leader, a great man, a man of good character, but he also fell mightily to his sin. And I was actually frustrated reading through this because I'm like, man, Saul is a crazy man. He's sending this guy, David, out into the battlefields to death, basically, trying to kill him in the battlefield. And I'm like, man, David's so great, Saul's so terrible. David won. My frustration was, as we'll learn in future weeks, David also used this tactic, but he didn't lose. He won, meaning he sent somebody to the battlefield to try and hide his sin, and it worked. He killed, basically murdered somebody. My frustration is we all, we, we idolatize David and how great he was. Again, he was the Pentateuch of the, 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 the pillar of the Israelite kingdom in the Old Testament. He'll lead the nation to great wealth and prosperity and, and war and victory. But he wasn't enough. This is my reflection. No man who has ever lived except for one was enough. The one who lived who was enough lives in me and he lives in you and his name is Jesus. 
The Israelites put all their eggs in the basket. David, he's an incredible man, a, great, a man of great character. And even David, who was, who was built, and we've seen the beginnings of his life, was a man of great character who came from humble beginnings, beautiful underdog-type story, the youngest of his family. God uses him, but it wasn't enough. The pinnacle of the Israelite history will fall mightily because this kingdom on earth is not our forever home. We are not meant to be here forever. And when Jesus comes in the line of David, he's redeeming David's story and his ancestors and, and his ancestors. He's redeeming your story that you don't have to pursue the praise of men. What does First John say? There is no fear in love, but Christ's perfect love for you casts out all fear. So we need to resist these temptations. We need to resist envy that we all have, greed, pride, fear, and give those over to God. I believe it says in Scripture that there is no fear in love because it's a really scary thing and a not great place to be when we live in fear and God cares for you. But I also believe that he does, doesn't want us to live in fear because it leads us down to a path of anger and darkness and sin and envy and rage where these things take real estate in our mind that are not godly whatsoever. So we resist the devil. Say, resist the devil, and he will flee. But knowing that no leader on earth, not even David, who was the pinnacle of the Israelite kingdom, is enough. Jesus is the only one that is enough for you and enough for me. Amen? So would you pray with me as our team comes? We're going to continue to worship together and close in prayer this morning. I'm actually going to ask that you stand with me as we just come before the Lord this morning. And maybe in your life you have let fear consume you, which has been really easy to do this last 18 months. Maybe you've let an envy and anger and jealousy consume your life as Saul did. I want to encourage you, if the devil has had a, a foothold in your life, maybe it's somebody that uh, you haven't forgiven that you have this grudge against. I want to encourage you to give that over to the Lord this morning. To get rid of that foothold that the devil has in your life. Knowing that there's no human leader that has ever been enough. Not even in God's chosen people, except for Jesus his death on the cross and his resurrection that all we have to do is come before him and believe in him and that when we stand before him when we all pass from this life to the next one he will simply say my son and my daughter you are forgiven there's nothing that we can do to earn his love except for believing in him believing that he came believing that Jesus is truly the son of God who came to redeem the world Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for our church family. And I pray that we will not let the devil have a foothold in our life. That we will resist our pride and temptation and idolatry and greed and envy and anger. That we'll give those over to you. That if we've held a grudge upon someone, that we will let it go and forgive as you have forgiven us. 
Let us walk in the example of Jesus who came to do the job that even David, the greatest king of Israel, couldn't do. You came to serve, not to be served. You came to give your life as a ransom for many, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about our performance. It's not about what people think about us. It's being fulfilled through you and by you. So be with our church family today as we encourage one another. Let's be the people you've called us to be. We give our lives to you today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.